Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. I know I have already published an episode today, October 4th. However, in light of some of the painful messages received at the recent biannual conference for those of the LDS faith, I moved my publishing date up of my interview with Jeff Anderson. After listening, I highly encourage you to connect with Jeff on Instagram, especially if you consider yourself outside what might be considered the quote-unquote norm of your faith. I love Jeff's Christ-centered approach to all that he shares. His Instagram account is the at sign ladder.day.stonecatchers. Please subscribe and follow to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. That way you won't miss part two of my interview with Jeff, which will publish Friday. I am so excited to share with you that the Love Loud Music Festival is coming to the Lone Star State. Founded in 2017 by Dan Reynolds, Love Loud is a catalyst to bring communities and families together to help ignite the vital conversation about what it means to unconditionally love our LGBTQ friends and family. Love Loud offers hope to people, letting them know they're not alone and encouraging acceptance in the home and community. It all begins with talking, sharing, and showing the realities of what LGBTQ individuals face daily. If you are in Texas and interested in volunteering along with me and some of your fellow Texans, please reach out and I will connect you with the right person. I would love to stand side by side and serve along with you. More information is on their website, which I have listed in the show notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Beyond the Shadow Dot podcast. You are going to be so jealous when you hear who I have as my guest with me today, and that would be the amazing Jeff Anderson, also known as LDS Stonecatcher on Instagram and maybe Facebook too. I, I mostly interact with you on Instagram. Yeah, it's, I'm definitely more active on Instagram. I'm okay. trying to do Facebook as well, but I'm not as good on Facebook. I know, we can Instagram. only do so much, right? <laughs> yeah. Jeff, if you don't know who he is or have not had the fortune to visit his Instagram account, is um, just an amazing person. Just, um, he not only is he an ally, but he is a... He's a disciple and um, shares so much lovely, lovely insight to scripture and um, intertwines it with our modern day experience in some of the most unique ways I have yet to see. And I know you have blessed my life and judging from the comments that I read on your posts, the lives of many, many others, 
So I feel a privilege to have you as my guest today on this podcast. So thank you so very much for your time. I, I, I sincerely appreciate that. Thank yes. you. I'm, I'm really glad to be here with you as well. So I want our listeners to have the opportunity to listen and hear from you as much as they can. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you to share with us about your background and about you know anything you feel comfortable, including in that, your faith of origin, your family upbringing and story, your profession. Um, and we'll, you know, that will segue into your faith journey as well. But yeah, give us all the details. We have lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try to give the right amount of details, not too much. So I feel like my story is not extraordinary in any way, especially uh, at the beginning. I was born in Utah. I um, have five brothers and sisters. I live really close to one of my brothers now, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, my my upbringing was in the church, active in the church. Um, I guess we, our family sort of um, fit the mold in that way. Uh, and it it was good. It was really good. I served a mission um, and got married to my wife, Jessica, uh, just a couple of years after getting home. And we lived in Utah. I think maybe I'd, I'm not sure if I mentioned that or not, but born was born in and grew up in Utah Valley all my life. Yeah. My wife and I got married and then we were both going to BYU. And so we stayed in Utah and that's where we spent most of our married life. Um, we We have three kids there wonderful uh <laughs> we're definitely still figuring out the parenting thing but man it's uh, it's fun love it in fact i'm going to try not to talk about them too much they're they've actually been gone for two weeks um and they get back tomorrow so i'm really glad that they're going to be back they've hey. been visiting yeah they've been visiting my wife's family so i'm i'm really excited to have them home i've definitely oh, I'm missed sure. spending time with them yep you to pick them up from the airport tomorrow so that'll be really nice um yeah life i mean life I mean, as I look back, it feels like it was pretty uneventful. We were, as far as faith goes, we were, I think, pretty, pretty orthodox. I mean, we grew up in Utah, and both of our parents, our fathers were in, no, parents were in leadership positions. Um, and, you know, we were, we approached our faith in, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe it. It's definitely different than what we do now. And I know we'll talk about from there to where we are now is a part of this podcast, but we were married in the Salt Lake Temple and we were really happy living in a very orthodox way, I guess. And that, and that really worked for us for, um, for a long time. Um, career, there's nothing very exciting there. I got my degree in accounting um, and that, you know, that probably fits along with this very <laughs> bland story up to a, up to a certain point <laughs> is, in time. But. It is a great story. <laughs> All stories are good stories uh, and unique. <laughs> it's not bland. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting here thinking, an accountant, that's awesome. I mean, <laughs> Well, um, you might be one of the first to think that, and that's okay. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's great. Yeah, no, so, I mean, life has just been, life has been really, really good. We, as I said, I think we fit the mold well and things work well for us in Utah and in the church. And, you know, we've just been very fortunate to be able to, um, and I'll say privileged to have the opportunities that we've had and to have life be as good it has, as it has been. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else you want to know about background. No, that's, that's great. I, I think that's a great start. Thank you for sharing that with us. Before we hit the record button, though, you did tell me you had lived in the UK for about a year and a half. I'm assuming that yes. was due to work. 
then? Yes, yes, yeah. So we lived mostly in Utah and then had the opportunity for my work to go to uh, live in the UK in London for 18 months. And that was really fantastic. That was in 2015 yeah. or 16. And yeah, that was just, it was, it was a wonderful opportunity for us. We say over and over that it's the best thing that we've ever done for our family. Um, yeah. We loved living in such a diverse place with so much history and culture and yeah. amazing things to see and beautiful people to meet and talk to and get to know who were so much different than we were. Um, yeah. That was probably our favorite part. I mean, our kids loved going to school over there because it was so diverse. Um, you know, there were people from over a dozen different countries in each of their classes, probably the same number of religions or faith traditions as well. And it was just, it was a really wonderful place and really, I think, was a significant part of um, my faith journey personally. And also our, I, I guess if I can say our family faith journey as well, uh, spending that time over there in London. So yep, yeah. after that, came back to Utah, where we spent another uh, maybe three years or so, and then uh, recently moved to the East Coast, where we love it. Yeah, my heart has a special place for London. I had the opportunity to study abroad for a semester there during my undergrad at BYU. And yes, that's where I've got my first taste of, you know, that being in a new place, how much it does broaden your horizons. And expand your point of view and world reference and it's you're changed after that you're not the same yep um, totally agree we were yeah. absolutely changed so you said that's kind of when you uh noticed maybe your your faith journey start to i call it a pivot or a shift people will use different words but it's just basically uh you know there are times in our lives where we get faced with or presented with maybe a significant fork in our path, or maybe it's a two-pronged fork, maybe it's three or four. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a pitchfork, <laughs> but we're just placed in this position where we have to, we're kind of, uh, it kind of pushes us out of, pushes us out of our comfort zone and we are forced to think in a different way or take into consideration things that perhaps we didn't have to before or that we had previously been kind of oblivious to. So I don't know. I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what that was that was happening for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it is a significant part of um, my faith journey, that time we spent in London, but I feel like it started even before that. And I'm... Okay. Um, it was probably, uh, I guess, a couple of years, two or three years before that. And we, um, I had always, well, I shouldn't say always, I did not enjoy reading um, when I was a kid, but for whatever <laughs> reason on my mission and then after my mission, I really gained a love for reading, maybe on my mission, because that was one of the only things that we could do. Um, uh. <laughs> so I really, and I really enjoyed reading about church history. And so I was doing a lot of that um, on my mission, then even more afterwards as well. Uh, in, in fact, I actually even worked at Desert Book for, I don't know, maybe a year or 18 months, something like that after my mission. And I bought a lot of books there. And I really enjoyed reading, as I said, reading about church history, biographies of um, church leaders, things like that. And um, as, as I continued to read, I was, I guess, running... I started running out of books about the things I wanted to read about that were published by 
or through places like Deseret Book and started um, going to different publishers who would, I guess we can say, publish things from church history that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find from something that was put out directly from uh, the church or through Deseret Book or something like that, right? Some of the more difficult or um, um, tough topics that sometimes we don't like talking about uh, in the church, right? Either because yeah. it seems clear that mistakes were made or we're not, we weren't there and we're not sure, we're not sure what happened or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and as I started reading more and more, I, um, I started coming across those types of things and it started to, and it was, and I couldn't understand, I was trying to reconcile what I thought I knew about these early church leaders as far as uh, being prophets, being inspired with these other things that I was reading that did not feel like something that prophets would do or did not feel like something that was inspired. And um, the, it felt like the more I read, the more I was coming across those types of things. And that was really difficult. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that, that was, that was, that was difficult. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how to handle that because the, the church had been so great for me. And I, you know, I had gotten up and um, said things that I knew um, so many times um, in front of different congregations and in different places. And all of a sudden, you know, these things that I was reading uh, in church history just didn't seem to line up with what I thought that I knew. And, and, the, I, and I remember seeing through Facebook and other things like that, friends making the decision based on this type of information to leave the church. And I remember, I still remember the name of um, some really good friends at the time who chose to leave the church. And I remember really specific words in this blog post that they had written explaining why they wanted um, to do this, which I had been reading and not telling anybody because at the time I, I, I didn't, I wasn't telling anybody in my immediate family. I, I mean, it, I was mm -hmm. reading these things um, in secret, really. I mean, I didn't, I guess I didn't want anybody to know that I was mm. having doubts or wondering or um, things like that. And so I still remember reading this post. They didn't, I didn't even tell them that I was reading it because I just didn't want anybody to know, but it just, it really crushed me reading about how they had decided to leave. And, but at the same time, I felt like I understood because I had read all of these same things that they had as well. And I, I didn't know what, I, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, and that was, that was, that was really, that was really, really hard. Um, I still remember the first time I um, talked to my wife, Jessica, about those things. And that was, uh, we, we were up all night that night talking and crying and wondering what to do. Um, I think mostly me wondering what to do and her really hoping that I could put all this stuff aside and that we could just kind of keep doing what we were doing. Um, and that was, uh, that was, that was really, really difficult. Um, and I know, as you said, we use different words, faith crisis, faith journey, faith expansion, um, yeah. which I, I feel like now what I'm, in the midst of is definitely a faith expansion and i love that and it feels good 
Yeah, but that's what I thinking, used to. Yeah. Yeah. But thinking back on that night, it absolutely was, it felt like a crisis. It felt like the world was just falling down around me. Um, you know, the church was so foundational to everything that we had. Um, I shouldn't say everything, so much of what we did, what our life looked like, and our just our daily practices and routines and, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, and I'm all of a sudden wondering within myself, is, is all of this a lie? <laughs> Have we devoted our lives to a lie? And that was really, man, that was really hard. I thank you so much. Um, this right here is, I know why I felt so strongly to start this podcast, because I want to normalize that we all have faith journeys and no two journeys look alike. And one journey isn't wrong or better or um, more righteous or it's just a journey. And when I say it's just a journey, that is definitely not to uh, to downplay that emotion that comes with it. I heard you when you, you said more than once, that was really difficult. This is really hard. And, and I get that. I remember the first time I really felt a lot of what you described. And that was when I was trying to reconcile my lived experience with my beautiful LGBTQ plus child and the doctrine I had grown up with and had been taught. It's heartbreaking. It's actually soul ripping and can be almost crushing. So thank you for, um, for sharing. And also I, I caught that you, you said at first you weren't telling anybody that you were reading and going through all of this. And I don't know if you realized what you said. You said, I didn't, you know, I didn't want them to know I was having these doubts and that I was reading this and going through all of this. And my goal is to normalize. Um, and, and I love that you said that because that is so typical. That is so much more the case than not. Um, and it's in, it's across the board. It's not specific to just the LDS faith. Um, there's a lot of shame around it in in lots of conservative faiths. So you're not alone. Um, lots of people, myself included, have doubts and questions. And I totally uh, feel that description of faith expansion, um, faith journey evolved into faith expansion. And that's really what's helped me to, you know, put one foot in front of the other is the what else and the you know, the word, and I understand this, or I've experienced this. And what else is there that we don't fully know? So when we have these questions and these doubts that come up, and it, there's just no ignoring them, you really can't because of the way that it affects you. Um, yeah, it's, it's all consuming. It yeah. is. It absolutely is. So you talked about how you shared it with your wife. 
And I will, I will say as a side note, that's a beautiful thing that you were able to do that, right? This in some of the support groups I'm a part of, this can be something that will make or break a relationship um, and not just a marriage, right? Sometimes it's also branches out into other relationships within mm-hmm. the family and extended family, but you were able to share with your wife that night and she, um, I guess, took that burden upon herself alongside with you. I'd I'd love if you could share a little bit more what what that was like, and also specifically, um, like what your process is when you, obviously, when you started to find these things that weren't matching up for you, and it brought up doubts, you know, what is that process that you go through to help yourself navigate that and work through that that energy, that significant energy that is there. And sometimes it's a heavy energy. Sometimes it's a sad, it's a confusing, but um, defining it as a faith expansion helped shift that energy a lot for me. But anyway, I'd love to hear you share a little bit more. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say that the way I do it now was much different than than how I approached this 10 years ago when it first started to happen. Yeah, that first night was really hard because I, I mean, that was absolutely the hardest thing that we had encountered as a couple up until that point. And um, I, and I I don't think, um, we'll talk, we'll talk more about conversations that my wife and I have had recently that Uh have been really, um, really, really great. And we are very much in sync right now but I think back then that was really difficult for her um not knowing not not knowing what to do with this guy who you know to be fair to her basically promised her yeah this is this is what we believe this is what we're going to believe our whole lives this is what we're going to build our family and our foundation and everything else on and then all of a sudden you know six years into it I, I come to her and say I'm not really sure about all this stuff that we said that we were totally sure about um, and because, I mean, if you think about the process that I had gone through to get to that point, there had probably been at least a year of really reading difficult things and trying to process these emotions. And, and finally, it just builds up so much inside that I just can't keep it to myself anymore. And so I talked to her. Um, and that's really probably not fair to her. Um, but she, she, was, she was very, very kind. Um, and I know that that was really, really difficult. I mean, really from there, I, I remember starting from nothing, um, trying to decide. I feel like so much of what I had been taught, or at least the way I had absorbed teachings um, within the church was that this is the only way. And so then my thought process then was, well, if this is the only way, and to me it no seems like it, to me it no longer seems like it could be the way, or could be right, or could be truth, and you know, then I, I guess all of it um, was a lie. Whether that's um, the church or even just God, I, uh, I just I, I wasn't sure I, I wasn't sure about anything anymore, and. And so, and so, I mean, my beliefs just went down to nothing. I, I didn't, I, I didn't believe in the church. I didn't believe in God. I certainly believed in being 
kind to other people and fulfilling my responsibilities and, um, you know, being a good husband and a good father and a good person and a good neighbor. Um, but I just, I just didn't anything theologically. I, I no longer believed and really started from the ground up, uh, which was, um, which was also really difficult and a long process. I, I think what I decided is that there must be answers out there. Um, and so I kind of kept reading, but I, I expanded that to include other understandings of the divine and God um, and Christianity. And, um, and in the meantime, I think to kind of try and keep things functioning smoothly at home, since I had no idea what I wanted to do or what I believed or didn't believe, we just kind of decided to, or I decided to just kind of keep doing what we're doing until I know that I want to do something different. So kept going to church, kept taking the kids to church. Um, and, and I think that that was the right choice for us. You know, as you said, every journey is absolutely different. And so I would never want somebody to think that what I'm sharing is me saying, this is the right way to do this. And I know that that isn't your intention either. Right. Um, but you know, that's, that's what worked. That's what worked for us is we, we, or I guess I should say for me is we kept, I kept going, um, you know, outwardly participating in the church, those kinds of things while still in my head and in my heart trying to figure out what the, what the heck I believed. Uh, Cause I just, I just didn't know. Um, and um, in reading and studying and, meditating i i um the and maybe it's just because it's my <laughs> native spiritual language if that if that works but the the thought and the idea of christianity really really resonated with me um and that's something that i feel like came back fairly quickly maybe within six to twelve months as far as from that first that initial night when i just felt like you know every you know, the house of cards was just strewn um, around the room. Um, and I really held on to that. And I remember, but it, but it was in a different way than I felt like I had been taught um, in, in my upbringing, whether that be in the church or, you know, family meetings or things like that. And it, I, I really held on to more of a, I guess you'd say grace, grace-centered Christianity and um, a universalistic theology that I felt like was, and I felt like that was different than what I had been taught, but that felt true to me. And so I, um, that's, that's what I believed. You know, I, I did believe in Jesus Christ, that he was the son of God, but I, I really focused, I, um, the thought of infinite divine mercy that isn't dependent on <laughs> what church we belong to or the things that we do in our lives or certain ordinances or rituals that we've received resonated a lot more strongly with me at that time. And, um, and I, so in fact, I remember my Bishop at the time um, who I did not tell a lot about, or I didn't tell anything about what I was going through really. Um, and he was very kind, asked me if I would be um an instructor for the elders quorum, yeah, the men's group in the church, right? Okay. And at that time, I finally told him, I'm not sure I'm the person that you want to be doing this um, because <laughs> we had also we had also recently switched over to, it was about the general conference talks rather than um, whatever the curriculum would have been before. And obviously, I, I mean, so I 
without trying to tell him too much, because again, I, I didn't, I didn't want people to know that I was going through this, that you got people's validation for believing in the right things. And I didn't, I wasn't ready to give up that validation, which sounds terribly vain saying that outside, um, out loud, but that's, that's true. I didn't, I just didn't want people to view me differently. And I felt like they would, uh, if they knew what I but did. I, but I think believe. it's really valid. I just have to add that, Jeff. I think that it's a real fear that is there and you're not the only one to experience that it's that fear of no longer belonging to the group and it's real uh so i don't see that as as vanity i think that's kind of a form of survival really so anyway i appreciate that and that's definitely what it felt like that i mean we were in utah all of our neighbors were lds everything social is um, through the church all of that right yeah so I, i i yeah so i didn't I, I was afraid the perception of me would change if people knew what I believed. Um, mm-hmm. But he insisted and I said, <laughs> I said, okay. And so I still remember one time, I don't remember what the talk was. I should really go back and find it. Um, but it was a talk that talked a little bit about grace. And so we talked about that in elders quorum and I really emphasized how I just, you know, I, that we were saved by grace. And I remember there were there were two members of the class who did not like the direction that I was taking that. And it it, it got pretty heated in class, um, them pushing the idea that if we didn't do certain things, that there was nothing that grace could do to be able to, that there was nothing grace could do, that we absolutely had to do certain things and be a certain level of good before grace would kick in. Um, and I remember after that class going to the bishop and asking to be released. Um, cause mm-hmm. I just, I felt like the way I viewed things was just too different than from what others thought. And they didn't appreciate my viewpoint, which was okay. Cause I also respected that, you know, I'm teaching this lesson in the church. I should probably, yeah. and you know, if, and so I, I respected the fact that my views might not exactly line up with, yeah. um, the typical topic talking points of the church at that time. Um, but I really appreciated him doing that because it allowed me to find those themes within teachings of the church. And I feel like that kind of put me on a road of, again, thinking that there must be answers, trying to find answers to all these doubts about whether it's church history or certain teachings or whatever. And so I actually got really involved in attending Fair conferences, which I can't remember what the acronym stands for, um, faithful answers, yeah, informed responses, or something like that. It's yeah. it's a, it's an unofficial group of the church that really tries to provide thorough responses to a lot of the things that people struggle with, or have doubts about, or just think are untrue about the church or church history or things like that. And um, I I really um and so I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. Sorry, but I You're doing that, great. That was. Um, that's kind of where my journey took me next. I think, uh, I, I, and I can't remember exactly why I felt so motivated to try and find answers through organizations like that, but for some reason I did. I can't look back and say it was definitely because I felt like that's where my personal faith was pushing. Maybe it's because I knew for sure my family was still going to be involved with the church in some level, no matter what I believed. And so maybe I, it would just be better to be more informed. I'd, I'm not really sure, but I do remember really doing a lot of searching for answers 
um, you know, listening to podcasts and things like that um, to try and find answers to these things that had really made me struggle and I felt like brought my beliefs crashing down. So, so I guess I'll, I, yeah, I, I would say I'm going to pause there. <laughs> well, I wanted to just clarify. So this next phase of asking questions and researching and you said connecting with organizations like FAIR. So that was post uh being teacher of elders quorum or of the men's group at church. So the bishop or the pastor of your congregation did in fact uh, honor your request and yes, uh, really released you from that responsibility of teaching. Yes. Yes. Yep. So was this searching that you kind of started to engage in after that in place of, or just in addition to, it's just more um, learning. I think it was probably um, sort of simultaneous. I feel like it was so long ago; it's hard to remember. And I uh -huh. am a terrible—I'm a terrible journaler. I wish that I had kept a better journal <laughs> from this part of my life, uh, but I did not. Um, I think it was kind of simultaneous, and then, um, but and then kind of continued after that because we continued to attend uh -huh. meetings. I just didn't hold any sort of official um, calling or position or anything. Um, but that I—but that sort of felt like. What, um, but the, yeah, that's what I wanted to do with my time was to try and find those answers. I felt like, I think in my head, I still had this idea that there must be a correct way to believe in Jesus Christ and God. Um, and so I was going to find it. And so I was either going to figure out that the church I belonged to and was going to was the correct way or was not the correct way. And that there must be a definitive yes or no answer to that. So I think I was trying to answer that, that question a great one to want to try to answer it's very personal and um i don't know the more i've learned on my journey uh the diversity of population of god's children on this earth i mean people experience the divine in so very many different ways in the way the language that they use, whether it's written language, oral language, or even body language, you know, or um, rituals or whatever that they use to acknowledge that presence in their life. It's so varied and so vast. And, and really, why wouldn't it be? Um, that's kind of the conclusion I have come to. But one thing that this journey has also taught me is... Um, you know, some questions may not have answers and maybe that's for now, just leaning into that uncertainty is a little bit more mentally healthy or spiritually healthy or um, leaves more room for curiosity and being teachable and being humble and being open to what is and what might be and, and what's next. So I, I don't know why I'm, I've got this question. I'm just curious to know, after that day you taught, you you asked to be released. One of the questions I do ask anyway is how it is navigating these doubts among your faith communities. You know, I truly hope to just normalize listening to other people's journeys and talking about them and just listening with curiosity, right? I'm curious to know what it was like to continue to participate. And I mean, what was it like being continuing to be among these folks after they had known kind of where you were at, you know, through your, your lesson that you taught and subsequent asking, ask, releasing, they didn't necessarily know you had asked to be relieved of that calling. But anyway, it was, 
unfortunately, incredibly lonely. Um, I I don't think I'm the, I'm I am not the most outgoing person anyway. Um, and so you know that's <laughs> maybe that's partly on me, but I just I remember feeling incredibly lonely. I. I mean, when I think about now, when I share a more nuanced lesson, a more nuanced sacrament talk or something like that, I'll usually have several people come and thank me and say that something resonated with them or something like that. And I, I don't remember feeling any of that um, after those lessons that I, or getting any of that kind of feedback after those lessons that I taught, you know, and maybe that's, maybe it was there and you only remember the bad things, right? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I do remember an overwhelming feeling of loneliness, of just feeling like I I don't think I believe the same things as the people around me. And I don't and I don't know who to talk to who won't look at me differently if they if they knew that. So yeah, I didn't I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody. When I asked for them to relieve me of that teaching assignment, I just, you know, I I did tell the, the bishop I, I didn't tell him very much, but I just said, you know, it's just I think the way that I teach things just really doesn't resonate with people in the class. And there had been there and there was this particular discussion which apparently he had heard about. <laughs> hey. and it, yeah. And that just told me that, you know, they they would probably be better served hearing from somebody else. And that I understood that and I was okay with that. And that I had appreciated the opportunity, but that I just I didn't it didn't seem like I was what they wanted. I wasn't who they wanted to hear from. So yeah, mostly I just remember feeling really lonely. Um, yeah. I am sorry. I, my heart feels that, uh, again, that was, you said around 2015, 2016, yeah. Yeah, 2014 or 15 before we went to London. Yeah. So what I find really interesting is it's kind of mind blowing to think about how many things have changed since then since 2015-16 to now, you know, fall of 2023, and that you even said it was different then than it is now among my congregation when I, I think you said, give a talk or... Yep, or teach a lesson or something. Or teach a lesson, right. And on the one hand, my heart hurts for eight years ago, Jeff, (laughs) I also understand what that feeling is like. And I'd love to know what what do you think is different now this time around? I so I think now, you know, after navigating this space for 10 years or so, I so I am more confident in what I believe and I'm comfortable in the ways that what I believe differs from what most people in my congregation might believe. And and I'm I'm okay with other people knowing that what I believe is different, and uh, I, I guess, so. I guess I'm 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 more comfortable sharing, and because of that, I have been able to make some connections in different congregations that I've been in with people who have maybe not the same thoughts as me, but also have other areas in which maybe what they think is a little bit different. You know, sometimes we align on some things and other things that we don't, but. I've been able to meet other people who are comfortable not believing the same thing as everybody else and still being able to have a conversation about it. I do think there has been a lot of good done with online groups or social media and things like that of just people being able to share. I think it's just people gotten people in the habit of 
sharing. I mean, honestly, you know, I know we're fast forwarding quite a bit here, but I mean, today I know I, I'm probably more comfortable sharing in my congregation. When I started my Instagram account, my local congregation here was not aware of how strongly I believe certain things that they, I, I was not a vocal ally within my local congregation. Um, I wasn't as outspoken about how I view Jesus Christ and what he taught and what I think we can best do to follow him. I, I wasn't as vocal about that when I started that Instagram account. So I became more vocal online, I guess, anonymously. And then once some people in my stake and my ward found my page without me knowing, you know, and told me about that, I was like, well, apparently, you know, people know, I might as well just kind of own mm -hmm. it and be okay with it. And that's actually been really, really great. And I want to be careful of that because I know that it's mm -hmm. not like that in every congregation. I know, I mean, I still have experiences yeah. where in a certain class, I, I'll say something um, that, or I'll share some thoughts or a comment that doesn't necessarily line up with the typical church thinking on a certain topic. Um, and, you know, immediately three or four hands in the classroom will go up and they'll want to share something contrary to what I said. Um, and so those sorts of things do still happen. I know a lot of people have those experiences or they're in that place where they're afraid to share. And so I don't, I, I'm certainly not trying to say, well, you just, people just need to not be afraid to share what they think, because I know that that's a really, really difficult place. And each congregation is different where some congregations are welcome, feel safe for others to share their yeah. doubts and feelings and others just don't. And that's so hard. Yeah, that's interesting that you shared that sometimes when you do um, share authentically what you where you're at, and someone's hand will shoot up and they'll immediately share to the contrary. I've had that happen. And I just, um, I've learned that I, I think we're kind of conditioned to do that. It's this defense of what um, we've known, what we've been taught, you know, for many, our entire lives. And it's this kind of automatic reaction to defending versus just allowing someone else to, to just share where they're at and um, be open to this idea that others are experiencing life differently than you are. Yeah. Beginning October 5th, the Dallas Hope Charities Collective Hope Coalition will be hosting their first ever book club and wrap up in November in honor of Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week, November 13th through the 18th. Every week, we'll be discussing Dr. Brandon Andrew Robinson's book, Coming Out to the Streets, and how the book ties in to the Dallas Hope Charities fight to end hopelessness. It begins Thursday, October 5th and goes through Thursday, November 16th at 12 Central Time, and it will be through Google Meets. If you would like more information, please send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Books can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, UC Press, or through used bookstores. If cost is a barrier, please reach out uh, for alternative options. Note that the book contains uncensored accounts from LGBTQIA youth who have experienced homelessness, which may be triggering for some. So we encourage everyone to engage with the book at their comfort level. Subject matter includes language, self-harm, suicide, homophobia, transphobia, abuse, verbal and physical, drug use, sexual assault, bullying, and police brutality.
Come join me in Hopeful Spaces, a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, which is sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. Hopeful Spaces is a monthly parent, caregiver, and ally support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. To join is free. Simply send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com where you can find this podcast as well as additional free resources. Check the podcast show notes on any platform for links to sources cited. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more and to send me a DM. To help the podcast grow, please follow, rate, and review as well as share it with a friend. Beyond the Shadow of Doubt is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is a part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast network. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Thanks for being here. Until next time.